The Putin regime has been widely exploiting the vulnerabilities of global social media platforms using bots and trolls to promote specific stories and narratives. But they're not alone. Once developed, the same techniques can be used by other powers, international and local, to subvert democratic institutions and warp the public perception of the news and politics in their countries. Welcome to Silicon Curtain. Please like and subscribe and comment. The algorithm has changed recently and comments are very important now. Uh, and that will help other people find our fantastic speakers. Uh, and of course, if you do enjoy the content we create, do consider uh, supporting us by becoming a patron or buy me a coffee. Uh, Anton Tarasiuk is co-founder and expertise lead at Mantis Analytics. Mantis is an AI-driven real-time information field monitoring platform. It collects information from media, social networks, and other sources, analyzes it, and provides insights into who communicates and what. And why this is important on the channel, this is a critical technology for helping to battle disinformation and propaganda. Anton, welcome. Hi, hi, nice to meet you. Nice to have me here. Thanks a lot. Well, I'm really uh, interested in this. As people on the channel will know, I have a, a background uh, in digital marketing uh, and specialize in, or at least I have a great interest in technological solutions to a variety of problems, including disinformation and propaganda. So we'll start with your personal biography in a minute, but let's have a quick dive into Mantis Analytics. What exactly does it do and how does it do it? Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, so basically, Mantis Analytics is an AI-driven platform that conducts information space listening and analysis in real time to provide reliable and actionable data for risk management, both physical and informational. So how it looks like uh, in the flow. So we collect data, like we grab data from different sources, legacy media, social media networks. Uh, basically, we are pretty data agnostic, but our first focus was social media and especially telegram channel uh, channels uh, after that we process data we select two two streams of events physical and mental physical being events that are happening in so-called real world like we can see on the streets for example mental is something which is related to what's happening in people's heads like attitudes sentiments and so on and then we apply our nlp and llm stack to it to to select information campaigns, to uh, geo, to conduct geomapping, uh, to flag potential cases of disinformation, to spot propaganda techniques, and to conduct sentiment analysis. And after that, we present it via uh, user interfaces. Mainly, these are two kinds of interfaces, dashboards and maps. Uh, but sometimes people need reports and so on. So this is basically the stuff we also do. Uh, this is like how the technology works in a nutshell. And how it was born, it was born out of, out of a sheer necessity, so to say, like in February 2022, when Russia unleashed its full-scale aggression against Ukraine. So basically, a group of NLP uh, and LLM guys, like AI minds, Ukraine is very potent with AI uh, talent, uh, were just discussing how can they help uh, their country, how can they contribute to the resistance and the idea popped up okay let's do something with the information space uh, because russia was pushing lots of campaigns 
uh, hostile campaigns like disinformation campaigns we can uh, dive into it in a few minutes if you want but just to uh, explain the origin story and people were not prepared to it and uh, institutions were not prepared to it uh, our first client was national security and defense council of ukraine and when we got there like there were just people sitting going through uh like manually going through articles and content that that was being pushed by uh probably by russians or russian agents or useful idiots of russia and uh, we should know that these are like first weeks and months of the invasion people are not prepared people are not ready for such kind of uh, uh such kind of uh huge information uh information pushing so like people are reading like Zelensky is not in the capital he he has fled like uh don't go to the streets you will be killed by armed forces of Ukraine and so on and so on and so on so this is how it uh, how all this stuff attacks uh, an unprepared mind and our first step was uh we can automate the detection of such flows for people, for researchers, for strategists of national security and defense council to work on the real stuff that needs their creative abilities, like being able to push counter campaigns, being able to go brief stakeholders, being able to publish the debunking piece and so on and so on. So, yeah, this is how it all started. And for a year, it was a sheer volunteer initiative. We operated in a volunteering mode. Uh, and after the year, we thought, okay, we have the product, we have the clients, uh, we have the team. So probably there is a startup and that's how we started the transformation into the uh, company. Uh, but we do not close the volunteering stream. We help, uh, uh, we, um, part of our efforts goes to helping the, the uh, Ukrainian institutions to be efficient in information resilience building because this is the crucial crucial task that is uh, on the agenda and uh, it is still on the agenda. That's extraordinary that so many people would give what I assume is very sophisticated expertise to uh, you know on a volunteer basis to build such a solution. Um, but is there a common understanding that this is quite literally a matter of life and death, that the information war is as important as the physical struggle that's taking place? Yeah, this is this is the thing that uh, that uh, fueled the the uh, volunteer, not only in our case, but like in general in Ukraine, like volunteer efforts. So. Uh, we have this ML engineer, like a very cool guy, very sophisticated, like a bright engineering mind, one of the best in Eastern Europe. And he said, okay, I'm sitting and I'm like generating AI t-shirts for an American celebrity because uh, every cool AI engineer in Ukraine works for some global company. And uh, he says, okay, I'm generating these AI t-shirts. Well, my city is being bombed. I should probably do something more impactful, uh, at least at my free time. And this is how we gathered the team, which, uh, which to be honest, we wouldn't be able to gather in the normal times. Uh, uh, we are like very honest with ourselves here. Uh, but this is how the initial team uh, was brought up. And yeah, this is the matter of life and death. Sometimes, like we can, we can. Uh, remember um, this uh, 
this is like a great example of a disinformation campaign which could actually take lives. For example, at the first days of invasion, there was this campaign pushed probably by uh, Russian um, Russian agents or Russians themselves uh, about uh, graffiti marks being put on the streets to navigate the artillery strikes. Yeah. So this is like a sheer nonsense. Like this is the stupid one. How can a rocket find some graffiti mark on the on the road? Yeah, like the classical graffiti mark, for example, a circle with a cross. But people believed in it because this is the first time people are having this war experience. Nobody was prepared for it. I saw people who were looking for people who are spotting these graffiti marks. Yeah, and you could get into trouble if 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 somebody thought that you are doing this. Because uh, they will, they will, will think that you are a Russian agent. They will probably uh, want to at least um, capture you and uh, detain you, uh, not to say to do more. And this is this was there. There was no like graffiti marks. This is just a lie. This is the classical disinformation campaign, like a false one and a harmful one, and it could take lives. Yeah. So this is this is how how we. This is the environment we woke up in on uh, on February 2022, right? This is what we saw. And we see at this point, now, I, I don't use words like sort of stalemate and stuff because uh, that's far too simplistic to describe what's going on. What's going on is very complex and at an extraordinary scale, but the front lines are not changing huge amount. Um, in this period of the war, uh, where Russia has, you know, despite the narratives they put out about them being strong and the propagandists are so confident at the moment, there are clearly a lot of problems on the Russian side. In this period, is it much more likely that they will turn to or are turning to disinformation techniques? And what signs do you see that within your tool, um, both externally, but also internally because it seems to me that there is an uptick in narratives around things like you know fights within the government uh you know washington wanted to miss dismiss Zelensky, uh corruption as well there's there's evidence now uh, the bbc have put forward of the um the huge campaign against Dreznikov uh, and his team. Now, of course, there was some corruption there, uh, you know, and propaganda doesn't just invent stuff usually from nothing. It, it utilizes stuff in the real world. But what is the evidence you're seeing of an uptick or intensification in both external and internal disinformation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one. Uh Let's start with a quote, uh, like the head of the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine, Alexei Danilov, has uh, put recently a very good phrase that I think is uh, worth of attention, like the information war has no front lines. So uh, there is no like a border, like a clear border, which says, okay, here is the direct conflict going on. And what is behind is like a, something which is... Uh, uh, Calm, more calm and more like normal. There is no, there is no such borders. So, uh, yeah. And when there is uh, no clear, uh, uh, when there is no clear, like, um, uh, I would say, I wouldn't say progress, but I, I would like say significant changes on the front line. Uh, the significance of information warfare, 
increases because it gets it all gets about like morale like public morale soldiers morale and so on um, and i would say that one major thing that is pretty evident right now is the russians are getting smarter and more nuanced uh ukraine is um, a very um, a very um, discussion love and society so people are discussing all this stuff uh, sometimes uh, these discussions get grim and there are like uh, pain points that people discuss yeah let's not pretend that there are no pain points like the corruption the 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 question of corruption yeah people are discussing stuff and this is the pain point or uh, the recruitment stuff right uh, this is something that people have different opinions on in ukraine uh, and this is the pain point where it is a natural way to hit if you are a Russian uh, psyop uh, officer or uh, propagandist or like disinformation strategist, right? Because these are the, the, these are things that are uh, that have a real uh, foundation uh, uh, foundation behind them. People are discussing them. People have different opinions, and now you can divide them more. Um, and there are some um, some local stuff, right? For example, lots of people became uh, temporarily displaced persons and they moved into other regions. And uh, naturally, uh, there are no like big conflicts between people. But when when foreign people like or, or not people from your area come to you, you may get a bit suspicious. And now this is a good way for your enemy to put some uh, some heat into the into the. Um, into the information space of your community, right? For example, saying that, I don't know, like they will get, like the, these people will get all the places at schools or at universities, right? We saw this kind of thing, like people uh, people coming from uh, other regions uh, because uh, these regions are or were occupied into more safe areas. And now there is a campaign that says these people will take uh, all the places in universities. Uh, and uh, and okay now you have a tension right and this this tension is not something like clearly made up it is directed to real concern in in the community in the, in the society but it can be fueled and this is the main like the main um, mm, this is the main thing that is uh, very gets very tricky because uh, there are discussions in in society uh, that are to be preserved because we're a democracy right but uh these discussions and these uh pain points can be weaponized to polarize people and to uh, to direct them not in in the way of a constructive agreement or some kind of like so to see finding a zone of possible agreement but in but in finding a way to like separate themselves and fight internally yeah and this is this is how it works right now there are no no uh, no um campaigns like this graffiti marks nobody says that some russian agents are putting some uh some graffiti marks on the streets to navigate the rockets no 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 now it is all about um social issues uh military issues uh international relations issues sometimes for example like uh uh, saying that the the support is gone for Ukraine is gone and so on and so on yeah so now it is more tricky and it is tricky because uh, 
there is no direct line, like as Danilov says, no front line between what is the societal discussion, like a normal democracy stuff, and uh, and um, hostile information campaigning from your adversary. So this is this is this is a tricky one. So here comes your tool. Your tool uh, comes into this uh, information warfare space. Yeah. Um, who are the natural? customers for your tool uh, i mean or more particularly who can afford it who has the specialists who can utilize your tool how do they use it in their workflows and and, and, and what benefit does it provide to your customers oh okay uh, yeah naturally uh, we started with a niche like working with national security institutions and people involved in information warfare stuff uh this was this is this is how it started. After that, we expanded into working with media and think tanks, mainly fact checkers. Uh, for fact checkers, our tool is a great way to save resources and time. Because imagine you are monitoring information space on a daily basis, and you have I don't know like thousand content pieces to check, and down and out of this thousand, there are uh, two hundreds that are suspicious, and. 50, for example, are a direct disinformation campaign. And so what we can do, we can automate the first order fact checking, so to say. We can uh, provide them suspicious cases. Uh, we can provide them cases that are a potential disinformation cases. So so our one of our technologies marks these content pieces with, uh, with one of the three um, verdicts whether it is one which means probably not a disinformation don't bother two means maybe maybe checked three means uh probably disinformation should be checked and and these models were trained uh, uh, with fact checkers uh, with their methodology so the basically the idea was to automate the methodology that fact checkers use themselves manually just to uh, remove their uh manual efforts out of the process so they can uh, focus on analyzing really suspicious cases not bothering with cases that are just noise um, this is uh, this is one use case uh, right now we're exploring uh, two other routes some uh, uh, one uh, is concerned with public security because uh, if something happens if something happens um, for example in the city if a guy stabs a guy on the street, if a public service disrupts, like a bus doesn't work, or for Ukraine's case, if Shahed uh, strikes a building, probably the first place where this news will appear will be social media. And this is the tool, uh, and we have the technology to find this uh, news in real time to map them to map them directly, to, to, to spot them geographically and to provide um, rapid alerts with respect to security situation on some areas or, some, for example, the city, uh, the city stuff. If public service disrupts, somebody will probably write it on social media and we will spot it and it will be uh, a way to alert in a very... Um, very fast way the authorities or people who who need to react this is the one thing and the second we are actively exploring uh, corporate uh, use cases uh, 
they are related they uh, they are related to brand protection stuff and to this is like the informational side of what we do and the other one is physical which is related to more of a physical safety like supply chain and so on um yeah so this is our natural way from the governmental niche to the corporate niche uh, right now we're somewhere in between so we work mostly with media and think tanks and starting uh, starting the pilot projects with corporate sector mm. so there are elements of social listening but it's far yeah. more um say action oriented oriented around discovering particular narratives a question here, which I think is, is is quite an interesting one, is that sometimes the informational threat is is or the information source is organic. So if you talk about, say, a Shahid strike, you would expect, I guess, that the geolocation of those social media posts to originate from the area where that has happened and then spread outwards. So there must be patterns of location-based behaviors, whether something is a a natural or an artificial narrative that's propagating is your tool then able to classify whether you think this is noise or a genuine organic news source or something that has been coordinated externally um yeah there are ways to do it there are different ways to do it uh whether it uh, they are mostly related to two uh techniques one is spotting the source and what and the second one is uh, analyzing the content itself. For example, uh, we operated uh, in this area for more than a year. We worked with Telegram closely. Right now, we understand uh, pretty well what Telegram channels are propaganda related and what uh, and what are not. And we also have a tool which automatically, with a pretty good precision, uh, understands whether this channel is propaganda related or not like russian propaganda related i mean so this is the one way to do it the other way is to look it into content uh, itself uh, it is more uh, it is more for narrative analysis so maybe when there is a shahed strike it is not relevant uh, but when there is a campaign uh, being pushed uh, there are textual textual features like some content patterns that can be spotted uh, for example, if we if we talk about propaganda, there are lots of scholarly uh, work which detects like main propaganda techniques. And for LLM model, if it is properly trained, there is no problem to detect these uh, techniques. And uh, now you have a data driven uh, analysis to look into, for example, a thousand content pieces that are being pushed and see that they are like over, over flooded with propaganda techniques. And this is probably some kind of a, at least an uh, intentful manipulation, uh, especially with the generative AI. You can like create this thousand pieces, just uh, setting the task to rewrite uh, the initial, I don't know, like content piece or post. And, uh, yeah, basically, basically AI is pretty pretty useful here. So, so th there are two two ways to do it. One is source analysis, and the, the other one is just looking into content. And if it is oversaturated with like propaganda techniques and so on, so this is this probably is something of a campaign in nature. And um, without AI, because of course your tool utilizes AI as well. 
would it be impossible to do the kind of at-scale analysis, including the complex sort of semantic analysis that you do without AI? I mean, is this tool only possible because of the advances in AI technology? Um, I think um, it is it is a good question. And I think that uh, when we speak about AI and disinformation and uh, like this narrative analysis, we should be clear about uh, the, the use cases. Uh, and um, we believe, uh, we in Mantis Analytics believe that uh, when we're speaking about disinformation, it means we're speaking mostly about big information flows, like hundreds, thousands uh, content pieces. Because if your cousin lies to you, this is not a disinformation. If somebody believes in the flat earth, this is probably not a disinformation. Like people can be stupid, people can be... Uh, genuinely mistaken and you can engage with them in a meaningful way but if we are speaking about big information flows like hundreds thousand content pieces uh, there is uh, there are naturally narratives and there are naturally um, influence techniques right and this is where ai becomes useful because people who are people who are media literate they can, can engage with content by themselves, judging it, and uh, they're pretty pretty good at it. But uh, and this is this is not a good way to use AI. AI is needed when we are talking about like big data streams, and when we are talking about engaging with big data streams. For example, uh, for national security reasons, for uh, risk management, corporate risk management reasons, for uh, research reasons and so on. So um, this is uh, this is some, something to keep in mind because AI is not uh, a tool for every case, right? And for a good democracy to flourish, we need to set some boundaries, right? And we cannot say uh, that it is disinformation because we do not like or we do not agree with some position, right? And uh, how can we prove that it is a disinformation or not? There are data-driven ways, at least, to to spot the probability uh, and to to have some kind of uh, some kind of mark, some kind of uh, verdict, which is data-based that provides at, at least an objective ground to 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 discuss or to engage with with some campaign. So, uh, so when we speak about the AI and whether it can be, uh, whether such kind of use cases can be, um, can be um, engaged without AI, uh, the answer is, is both yes and no. <laughs> uh, yes, on an individual level, no, on a society level or a corporate level or a government level, because uh, three million. 650,000 content pieces were uh, flagged as disinformation on TikTok, on uh, YouTube, and on uh, Facebook, starting from February 2022. Uh, these are the numbers. These numbers cannot be, uh, in a meaningful way, in a rational way, engaged with by individual agents. And this is this this will only just increase. So. Uh, 
Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's an arms race, isn't it? Because uh, as AI gets more sophisticated, um, then, 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 then the amount of, of uh, disinformation it could potentially produce is exponential. I'm interested as well in the narratives themselves. And this is one area which is very complex, as you say. You know, where does organic political debate and how it propagates um, differ from disinformation narratives? And sometimes there may even be some overlap in that. Um, are there markers within the narratives and the way people repeat certain phrases and patterns of phraseology? And are there patterns in the distribution of propagation of materials which allow you to say, well, this is either fully disinformation or organic or is there a middle ground as well sometimes which is kind of complex where it might be a mixture of both mm, i guess i guess there is the fuzzy border between um natural debate and uh, and the um, and the campaigning and this is this is again this is the tricky question uh, i think that uh um, I think that uh, first of all, it, uh, should it should it should require a more broad approach because we are a tech guys, we're a technology company, and uh, technology and tech sector is not the only agent in the field and not the only one to produce answers. For example, uh, what is when we speak about this information, there are two main criteria, like being false and being harmful uh, in, 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 in this, at the same time. And what is harmful for society is the question which cannot be answered by tech company. It can be answered by the society and civil society institutions themselves, right? And here it is, it is a bit subjective because, uh, uh, because China will say that something is harmful for them, uh, Europe will say that something is harmful for them, and probably this harmful would not coincide, right? There are there are some clear case clear cases, but some will be fuzzy and some will be like very subjective, and this is why uh, why the, it is a civil society question, uh, and uh, this is why there is a need to cooperate between uh, te technology and civil society, and there is there there should be a debate because uh, as a tech sector, it can be very. Um, very um, very seductive so to say to 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 automate all to make it efficient but uh, it can kill a public debate uh, right away right we need some 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 free zones uh for such kind of discussions to take place um so uh, there is no like simple answer to to give uh, I think uh, one of the ways to to navigate this space is uh, whether such kind of thing can be uh, can be called campaigning like in a data driven way. So, uh, for example, uh, whether there are I don't know like uh, very precise slogans that are used by by uh, a huge group of disseminators. Uh, and uh, used in a not in a, so to say not in a natural way, uh, like uh, providing some kind of patterns of uh, of non-authentic behavior. And uh, this is again, this is the technological question: how to define this uh, non-authentic behavior, how to spot it, and how to not to mix it with the 
natural behavior of people uh, people and Asians. But uh, uh, there is another side, which is how can we define those terms? How can we define such kind of things as harmful, as truthful? And uh, uh, and I'm saying it not to like relativize it. I, uh, there is truth and there is harm. But when we're speaking about AI, it is about formal definitions because this is a machine. At the end of the day, this is the machine which operates with definitions. And as much uh, as much uh, as uh, we are clear with this definition, as efficient it is. So uh, yeah, again, uh, it is it is a good question. It is I think it is not uh, solved like on a global scale, not only in Ukraine. It is just a just a debate for for some. Uh, for future years and u.s elections will be a huge testing ground for such kind of concepts and uh, approaches i think the natural way is to uh to combine efforts of tech sector uh, and um, civil society because technology um, the technology is not the only the only uh, agent to to uh to play at this playground and this is an interesting question, isn't it? Because your clients won't be interested in in all narratives. They'll be interested in specific areas, uh, particular parts of the information ecosystem. And if they're brands, they'll be interested in things associated with their brands and their categories. So that perhaps makes it a little more focused, a little more easier to uh, to to uh, you know to build out a set of narratives to monitor. Because again, a tool like yours can't monitor everything all of all of the time. It's too much data. And in some of your screenshots, there's some really fascinating bits here. Uh, so one of the charts you've got here in the info field analysis is tracking, say, Nazism and Russophobia promotion. Yeah. Uh, you've got Ukraine-West relationships. You've got war-related damages, Donbass anti-war sentiments, discrediting Ukrainian elite. So there's all these sort of narratives which as you say some of it could be organic well the nazism not so much and, and some are pure propaganda these narratives i'm assuming they don't come from the ai you have to actually identify these narratives and then you have to sort of build up a model of all the associated <clears throat> excuse me sort of terms and references and ways of doing that. So how does how how do you do that within the tool? Do you have to have analysts who are monitoring, you know, the news and inputting these narratives, or does the tool also help to sort of when it finds spikes in informational activity, does it also suggest you know narratives? So it's, what, what's the interaction there, and what are the challenges mm -hmm, of mm -hmm, programming mm -hmm. in? The different narratives mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah uh, that's a good one there are two ways basically and you describe them one way is to uh, set them by yourself another one is to ask ai to do it uh, and these are like two two different use cases because uh, use cases because sometimes you have so to say a map of a territory which is your map and you have to navigate it and uh, these campaigns you listed these are um, the campaigns that uh, we help to have a national security guys to monitor there are 70 campaigns of this sort like for example crimea uh negotiation process and so on and, and this is the map which was predefined but there are use cases when you do, do not have a navigation for some territory yes it is uncharted yet 
So here AI can help to build this map, like to draw this map. Uh, one use case, one use cases we worked with a great Taiwanese think tank uh, called Double Think Lab. Like guys are very good in analysis of Chinese influence campaigning and so on. And uh, we looked into what Russians are saying about Taiwan and Taiwan's question. And um, we did not know anything about uh, Russians spin on Taiwan, right? And this is not a topic uh, which is uh, uh, very um, explored. Yeah, and here AI, AI is uh, a good way to draw this map of, of this uncharted territory. Uh, because you, you collect data, you ask AI to, to look into the narratives and to spot them, and then um, it spots them. Uh, after that, there are ways to prioritize them, for example, via the reach or some other metrics. There could be um, there could be different metrics. Some of them are like more marketing-oriented or natural for marketing, like reach, for example. Some of them could be uh, more of an information warfare, so you can look into the uh, level of um, the propaganda, uh, level of propaganda techniques used, and number of propaganda techniques for for a, like a data stream and so on. And uh, yeah, this is the way to to utilize AI to understand the picture. And after you have this picture, you can, for example. Uh, uh, monitor these streams for a for for a more time for for a long time. So uh, yeah, it it depends on the use case. It, it depends on the um, goal. If the goal is to look into something which is already known, it is a one goal. If the goal is to look into something which is not known and to understand this uncharted territory, this is another goal. And here AI is. Uh, uh, is very helpful because it basically uh, conducts uh, uh, the work of an OSINT analyst, but uh, more rapidly and sometimes I would say more uh, efficiently and even more um, bias independent. So basically AI can can uh, put uh, uh, put um, these biases that we people have in brackets and uh, uh, ignore them. That's fascinating. And of course, this does relate to one of the challenges here. Um, so I was going to say, is the tool language agnostic or does it require a significant amount of work to you know, train it on other languages? Because one of the real challenges in disinfo is we sort of know what's happening if you monitor uh, Russian propaganda channels. If we monitor English language media sources, they're very extensive, etc. But the global South is important. Uh, yeah. The African continent is important. There are whole areas of the world where, and the Middle East especially, is understudied when it comes to disinformation narratives. And you'll have your own local players. You'll have regional players. You'll then have global players like Russia and China. So, how does it how does it tackle this sort of complex and perhaps underrepresented uh, non English disinformation sphere? Um, naturally, we started with Russian and Ukrainian language. One of the reasons was uh, like legacy tools, legacy uh, approaches are not very good for the specifics of the region. Uh, there are different problems. One of them is, for example, a mix of Russian and uh, Ukrainian 
called Surjik, which is uh, basically a nightmare for many, many, many large language models. Uh, English is uh, the language we naturally work with and expanded to. Basically, in principle, uh, we can work with any language. The, the, the hard part is uh, models are to be trained. Uh, if Russian, Ukrainian, and English is something we already cover, other languages are uh, for are for us uh, the thing we uh, are to invest and to train the models and to make them more precise and so on. And with this respect, uh, like the Global South is an interesting area uh, because it is a... It is an area which is a, a bit of a, a bit similar to Ukraine Russia uh, with respect to uh, the thing that not uh, every classical tool works for such languages. Um, in principle, so, so yeah, the answer is very simple. In principle, uh, we as a company can work with any languages, uh, but uh, we have models for for three. Russia, Ukraine, Russian, Ukrainian, uh, and English, and other languages are to be trained. And I think the last, uh, the last area to concentrate on is, I can see how within corporations and within specific institutions, you know, you might act on this information uh, either to protect your reputation or to educate your staff and so on. Um, how would the tool be used? Because the other area where I think it, it could be fascinating for this tool to have, play a role in helping to educate and inform journalists so they don't unconsciously uh, imbibe propaganda narratives, amplify and repeat them. And that is a massive problem, I think, in, in, in Western media, where the imprecision of the language used can convey certain moods, impressions, etc., that benefits uh, the, uh, you know, the occupier or the offensive power. Um, and it's unfortunately done totally unconsciously. Whereas using a tool like this, having much better local knowledge context and something that can, can highlight the weaponized narratives might help journalists with the precision of their language. So is this an area your tool is being used or is this a future use case? Uh, we we have some some work we conduct with journalists. Uh, they it is more of a two sides. For example, one of them is more of an investigative nature. Uh, for example, we had an ask to help map all the um, all the mentions of a cluster bombs uh, usage, and to 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 like to find the locations where it is stated that they were used on the front line. Right, because at some point people were talking a lot about like cluster bombings, cluster bombs, cluster bombs, blah blah blah, and nobody understood where they are supposedly used. And one of the way to do it is to analyze information space and to find uh, at least where people claimed that they were used. Uh, so yeah, this is the investigative use case. Another one is more of a data journalism nature, uh, with respect to like. Uh, providing some additional context on like disinformation propaganda stuff i believe that uh, there is a use case uh, but it 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 it, sh it it should be in the following way like it should provide a journalist or or, um, or a reporter uh, or an investigator like more broad context 
to judge upon, right? Not to say that, and 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 I think that it is a, it is a very important issue here. Like, we can't say as a technology as a technology company that, for example, something is hundred percent disinformation. And if some technology company says it, they're probably like say selling snake oil or whatever. Uh, we can say that. Uh, like our model with such kind of precision building on such kind of methodology says that uh, the uh, verdict of it being a potential case of disinformation is such and such, right? And then it is up to an expert to decide, up to a journalist to decide, up to a communication strategist to decide. Uh, and this is how I think it, it is, the, it, this is the way to uh, to work uh, on and to build on to be very very open about the new process about the metrics and about the uh, the uh, the context right uh, we are ju uh, ai judges on purely formal reasons mostly sometimes uh, formal reasons are not enough to make an uh, make a final judgment and this is why we need experts this is why we need journalists but yeah they are to be provided as much context as possible. And here, like modern tools, uh, not only Mantis Analytics, there are others to to conduct such kind of um, analysis are very useful. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating, Anton. Uh, we're going to put links, obviously, to your profile and to uh, Mantis Analytics website if people are interested in, and uh, if they are, if they can see potentially a use uh, within their own organizations, then I strongly encourage them to get in touch. Um, but this is absolutely brilliant. I'm deeply fascinated by this topic. It sounds like the work you and your colleagues are doing is incredibly important, and I'm grateful to you for being able to share these insights with us today. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. And uh, thanks for a great conversation and what you do on behalf of Ukrainian cause. This is like brilliant and appreciated. Thanks so much. Slava Ukraina. Heroim Slava.